Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I'm very nervous. I don't know where to start, really, I guess. We'll just start talking. We'll see what happens. Basically, I've been seeing a lot of the, from like the the younger TREs and things like that, a lot of the messaging is around um, like disgust in one's body and like, but more on the, the loathing and the rejection side of things. And I feel like, that's they equate it to that being gender dysphoria and like not processing why and then mixing it in with the stereotypes and everything else of like the the gender of man and the gender of woman and i feel like it's Hmm. so not on point with like what gender dysphoria feels like at least from people that i i've talked to like trans people and people with it that have had it like me from a young age and like yes some of that plays into it but it's not quite the same and so I I wanted to talk about my story and and like all my history which is so messy and abusive but and then talk about like how a lot of that just needs to be processed for them and I think a lot of that would would end up resolving and isn't actually like gender dysphoria I think it's just like a lot of unprocessed like trauma and things like that so I just spoke with Robin, who is a male to female to male detransitioner. And uh-huh. I've also heard uh, murmurs that a lot of the detransitioner community has a big problem with even the concept of gender dysphoria. And Robin mm-hmm. and I think Lapita, Lampita have uh, developed or latched onto a term called trans OCD. Like it's actually mm-hmm. an obsessive, obsessive compulsive disorder that is focusing on secondary sex characteristics rather than it being its own category. It's a way that the mind's processing yeah. things and then using the concept of gender uh, to extrapolate on that. And that might be mm-hmm. uh, there might be some truth to that, and that might be a fruitful way of distinguishing um, between something that could be modeled completely as gender dysphoria specifically and with the trans um the gender dysphoria that begins in childhood mm-hmm. is uh i know that's one of the major um distinctions that bailey and blanchard at all and zucker uh pen as distinct from this other phenomena that is more social in nature and uh you know, with ROGD and late onset yeah. and then the AGP um, midlife mm-hmm. um, blossoming of that. Yeah. I, I've seen um, some of what Robin's written and it's, it's really interesting, especially like looking at a, a male perspective and things like that of ROGD. But I think too, like one thing a lot of people don't realize is like, gender dysphoria and like just the the full range of it, whether it's ROGD, whether it's 
AGP, whether it's AAP or HSTS or whatever, it's it all seems to be very different for males and females. Mm-hmm. And so, like, kind of like the, the cruel joke in that is that it it is sexed, like it is a sexed experience. Like you can't experience male gender dysphoria like as a female you can't experience female gender dysphoria as a male mm-hmm. and so yeah it's it's really because there are commonalities for like each one like male rogd like they'll have their own things that they can all relate to and female rogd same thing and aap same thing agp same thing and hsts for male and female same thing so it's mm-hmm. it's really like it's kind of funny to me because you never hear about that from trans activists. They act like, oh, gender dysphoria is the same thing for everybody. It's not at all. And it, I really, when I first started talking to other people with it, because I, I was always like really personal for me and I didn't know anybody else with it growing up. So I never had anybody to relate to about it. And then finally, as I got older, I started meeting like trans women and things like that. I was like, okay, well, they can relate to me. But then there were things that stood out that I was like, no, (laughs) that's not the same. That's that's a little different. And then I started meeting trans men after that. And I was like, okay, so this is, yeah, we're on the same page. Like, so describe some of those other. differences that you notice specifically starting with the trans women, those differences. So with the trans women, it did seem a little bit more like more focused on the stereotype that was like kind of hyper feminine and things like that with the trans women that I knew. Um, Like the the longer hair and things like that and the the makeup and all that stuff was a lot more like um rigid like they they kind of all at least to an extent like wanted those stereotypes and things like that and um like a lot of them at least from like I got invited to DM groups I had like a whole group of trans women I was friends with for a while and a lot of them talk about sex, like a lot. <laughs> and it, it was really uncomfortable for me because it was, I wasn't really a hypersexual person. So it was just kind of weird. Um, and some of them were HSTS, some of them were AGP and some seemed to be like a mix, but it was just like sex definitely came up a lot. But then with trans men, it was more like, um, very introspective and like a little bit more quiet, not necessarily focused on like outward things. It was more like inward examinations of like um, character rather than like appearance. Hmm. So like what is a man was, it seems to be more like behavior based. Like I need to, kind of like exemplify these things in myself to be a man or masculine like these characteristics whereas with the trans women it seems to be more like external but their personalities seem kind of the same Hmm. so So, yeah investigating the other side the trans man 
category, which is female to male transsexual mm -hmm. or transgenders, uh, individuals or individuals with transgenderism. I don't know. The, the language is going to change in about five or six hours. I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's a clock. I have it in the corner. It's hard to read, though, because uh, you have to do all these astrological <laughs> charts and stuff like that. But um, so there is there might be something interesting about the female stereotype that or the female ideal that the trans woman uh, is focused on generally speaking and the masculine ideal or stereotype that the female to male transsexuals are struggling with or obsessing with or uh, feeling attracted to or feeling like they already exemplify that so what is the what is the masculine ideals that were uh, being discussed and thought of so it's as um more like the strong silent or like um the healthy types of masculinity like uh inner strength and and like kind of standing up for people and taking personal responsibility like all of those very <laughs> in line with like Jordan Peterson almost like hmm. just that kind of you know strong male um Chivalry to take care of people. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, A hero archetype of some sort. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, so it was more like inward also like any, any focus. And I, I definitely was guilty of that too. Like I had those same feelings, like, you know, what does it mean to be a man? I need to be like this way. Like I can't, you know, I always have to stand up for people. I, I don't put myself first. I need to take care of everybody else and things like that. Um, and, you know, kind of be up for like a fight sort of a thing. And it was a lot of like posturing and stuff like that. All my friends were male, like predominantly male. I think I had like maybe one or two female friends growing up. And so it was just, yeah, I, I noticed that in myself. Like I was constantly like posturing and just, like trying to be one of the guys that way. Mm -hmm. And did you, you took that literally uh, for some reason? It wasn't just, you could be this type of person, but this type of person is a male in some way. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't really, I think that was very much socially conditioned because my family is Cuban. And so like gender roles are very strict. Mm -hmm. um, Catholic and or, no, not Catholic. Jehovah's Witness. Catholic wasn't okay. quite strict enough for us. So. Okay. And Jehovah's Witnesses are, I don't know much about that um, religion, but they're pretty strict with the gender roles. It seems to be. They don't explicitly say that, um, like in their doctrine and things that I'm, that I can recall. Um, but certainly in the church, there were things like, oh, only men can have this role in the church and, and things like that. There were like these usher type figures and um, they could only be men. I remember asking my mom when I was really little, like if I could be like one of those guys. And she was like, oh, no, only only men can do that. And um, I didn't really. Like, I remember not liking that, um, but I didn't fully understand yet at that point that I wouldn't one day become a man. Like, I still, like, I held on to the possibility that I would grow up into a man somehow, like, probably until I was, like, nine <laughs> or so. Where or when did that idea start? 
I, that's just my, my earliest memory of like thinking what adulthood would be was I just thought I would grow up to be a man. I didn't like, I had mostly women around me um, because women stay with the, the kids in Cuban culture. Like men aren't really like allowed. Um, and so unless they're like supervised kind of, um, or like if it's boys and they, they go out together, but especially with the girls, the women are very like, you know, it's just like only women can be with the, the girls. Um, but I just somehow just thought that I would grow up to be a man. And I've told that story before, but I didn't know, like it didn't even cross my mind that that wouldn't happen until my mom um, found me like practicing shaving in the mirror. I was like six. And so I, I think I was using a pen or something and I was pretending to shave. And she was like, what are you doing? And I told her and she's like, no, silly. Like only men do that. You're not, <laughs> it's not going to be you. And, and I just was like smacked in the face with permanence for the first time ever, hmm. because, you know, as a kid, you don't think about like, you're locked into this body forever this is you. You're going to grow old and die as you. You don't really think about that as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the first time I, I ever experienced like any kind of dysphoria or sex dysmorphia or whatever. It was just that like dread of like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, this is like forever like this? Like, what is and what does it mean to be a woman? I'd never even like thought about the possibility of growing up to be like my mom or my grandmother's. It was always, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to shave. I'm going to, you know, do all the things that a little kid might see a man do. So. Hmm. So there was some form of uh, sex determination that you assumed, but you hadn't inspected at that point. Right. Like I didn't internalize it, you know, like it was, or I didn't like process it internally. It wasn't something that I consciously knew. It was just um, like a subconscious thing. Like you're a little kid, you're observing the world. Like your family is your first introduction into society, into the world, into how to succeed as a grown human being. So you look around, you look at all these people and you just kind of like make it, make start making guesses and, and stuff like that about what it means to be an adult and to grow up and and stuff. And so then to hear that just like outright was just like, what? Like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, little kids will play dress up, like, Oh, I'm a police officer. I'm a doctor or whatever. Um, And it would be (laughs) like, you know, somebody telling you that's like impossible. Like you're never ever going to do that. Like outright, like for whatever reason. So it's just kind of like, Whoa. So, I mean, reverse engineering that thought then, you thought man man was an occupation, a state of being. I guess so, yeah. Like, just just something you, you just grew up to be. I didn't fully understand the differences. I just knew that's what I was going to be. Okay. Yeah. And that was ruptured. Yes. And that initiated uh, what in your head? Um, that initiated probably like my first, um, sense of like existential dread and like depression. Like, I think, like I said, I was like five or six. Um, and I just remember like walking around, like thinking about 
life and like what what that meant like what what was I gonna do now like I'm locked in in my worldview now to being a woman right like what does that mean is there any way I can change it and I remember thinking like can I can I go back can I start over can I like because you don't really understand what life means and and that sort of thing and but you had a negative conception of what a female becomes I don't really know if it was negative or if it was just something like something I think alien to me Okay. because I didn't really understand it, I guess. Um. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That's a really good question. I, I, yeah, it was just alien to me, and it continued to be alien to me. Um, like I said, my friends were always boys, always, and it was really, really hard for me to relate to girls at all. And in school, um, girls just kind of like, they just stayed away. It was weird. It was almost like they could tell something was off about me, like the way that I played or communicated or something. It just didn't seem to be clicking and they could like sense it. It was really, really strange. And Um, yet, yeah. Sorry to say, I don't mean to offend you. You're not that butch. You're no, I'm not feminine. (laughs) It's actually, yeah. um, When I was younger, I guess because I was around boys and I was trying more to be like butch and that kind of thing and be like one of the guys, my, like, you can see it in pictures. It's like embarrassing. <laughs> um, my posture was different. I stood differently. I spoke differently. Um, and my family noticed it. Like after I came back to visit them, I think it, it had been like six months or a year or something had been away. And they were like, God, you're like walking different and you're, the way you speak is different. It's really strange. And um, it was like, really? I didn't even notice. I think it was just, I was finally in a place where I, it was a new place. I was with new people and I, I just kind of settled into what was comfortable mm-hmm. instead of trying to be somebody and that sort of thing. Because over time, um, that discomfort just manifested and like what you were talking about earlier, that like kind of adaptation of those behaviors and things like that to try and like, you know, pass or be with the guys, even though I wasn't allowed to dress in men's clothes and stuff like that, that often, like my behavior with my male friends was so um, much like theirs that they would joke that anybody who dated me was gay like any guy that dated me was gay and that um, I, that I had uh, full male genitals and everything else. And that I was actually like trans, I was a trans woman. They would argue or like joke, like, because I just was so like a guy that I couldn't possibly be female and things like that. It's very validating for me at the time. 
Um, but it was also... Is this pre-puberty or during No, this is like well into, I think I was like 16 or so okay. when I was still like having this, this go Is this on, in so. the 2010s? I'm going to assume. Yeah. Because I don't think that the yeah. trans discourse was in no. high school at that point. No. And it, you know, or, it wasn't I mean, like they were point. using the right the right terminology they were like oh you're you're a tranny or this or whatever like mm. you've got balls and that like they were yeah. very crass you know like two boys off and on yeah. were you so, crass yourself i was very and i'm not anymore and i i credit that to my brother because he's very like anti-curse words and things like that oh, sweet he's um 17 and he's probably like such a gentleman compared to every other guy <laughs> his age but um yeah, so uh, I was very crass, and I was just I was just like one of the the guys mostly. Like my uncle actually got very mad at me because one day he came to pick me up, he surprised me at school, and you know, boys being boys, like making sex jokes and stuff like that. I I was like, we were joking about something. I forget what it was, and I was like pretending to hump one of their legs or something. My uncle walked up right at that moment. He was so. <laughs> it was so funny, but it was just, oh my gosh, the, the level of misunderstanding and then having to explain and be like, no, it's fine. They think I'm a boy. And he was like, what? And that made it worse. And I was like, no, like <laughs> you're not getting it. And then they all thought, you know, of course that I was gay too, which was like a whole other thing. And I mean, yeah, <laughs> I was, I was not, um, going down the route that they they had wanted yeah, yeah. for me at all <laughs> but I don't, yeah. from your retelling of that it seems rather just kind of playful and adaptive mm-hmm. and teenagey it doesn't seem yeah. like determinant of a gender identity just this is mm-hmm. who you get along with and how you how they behave how you behave yeah yeah um and like but if yeah like, it was weird. I had, um, I did try to, like, explain it to my friends because one of the things that comes along with um, my gender dysphoria and sex dysmorphia is, like, this phantom phallus feeling. Where I've, I've talked to some trans men who've had a similar thing. Um, but, so... Is this, like, a random Woody kind of thing? Which is a guy Yeah, yeah like... Yeah, okay. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like it's weird. It, I remember experiencing it really early in childhood. Hmm. Um, like maybe I, I remember the first time was around when I started kindergarten and just feeling like tingling or something there, but not, not where like, where like the female genital starts, like on the pubic mound area, like just above there is where um, I feel that. And then so, and it was really odd and I didn't really know what it was and I had no idea what a penis was, but that's, I assumed something actually was there because of that feeling. And I, I would panic if my, um, you know, like pants and jeans and stuff naturally like tent and stuff. And so I like obsess about like making oh. sure that was like straightened out because I thought that's what it was. I thought whatever I was feeling was causing that to happen. So oh, I'd like okay. panic and yeah. And then um, my mom a little later told me like, no, you're not going to grow anything there. Like there's nothing there. Um, 
you have, you know, a vagina and whatever. And she was like trying her best to, to tell me what that was. And I didn't really know because I wasn't allowed to bathe myself. Uh, like that was another weird cultural thing. Like I wasn't allowed to bathe myself until I got my period. Hmm. <laughs> it was, yeah. So was your really most intimate relationship with your body was mediated by uh, a woman. Right. Yeah. Okay. You, so you're kind of your autonomy when you're in the most vulnerable state, most mm-hmm. naked, most natural is not really your own. It's handed off to, uh, your, right. your superiors until you have a period. That's really interesting. I wonder where that cultural tradition started. I don't really know, but they said that's how it was for like all the women in the family. And they also told me that if I was not, um, washed and cleaned, like in my genitals, like every day, like twice a day, that worms were going to grow out of it. So like, it was just, yeah, there was already like this, um, buildup of like, um, like mystique and weirdness around that part of me. And then finally, when I actually like got a look at it, um, out of curiosity, I was like horrified and disgusted, which I did not feel with other people. I didn't feel that about other women, just me. I, it felt so wrong and like it wasn't supposed to be there. And just like I started screaming and I felt like it was like an, a monster attached to my body. It was like horrible. It was a really, really violent reaction. And I was just having like a total meltdown in my grandmother's bathroom. And my mom was like trying to talk me through it and console me and then my grandmother decides that's the moment to explain what a period is and that you if you think it's bad now you better like be ready for that when that gets here and so that was just oh it was awful (laughs) like the worst way they could have handled that um how old were you uh, again like probably six or seven okay yeah so really really young and um I'd already, you know, had all those earlier feelings. And so this was all just kind of like this jumble of things that was going on around the same time. Uh, And then my grandmother also told me, well, like, now that you know, like, what's there, you have to know that men and boys are going to want to, like, touch you there. And they're like, all they want is this and these and she was grab like her genitals and her boobs like really hard it was like really like intense it, um and scary because I was like what does that mean like what is they just want to touch that like why and just um it, again she wouldn't go into much detail just like warning me that that's what they they wanted to do so I think I I definitely already had this predisposition to feel this way but now I'm starting to feel even worse about the outcomes of what womanhood is and everything. Like there's just, just all of this baggage that comes along with it. So, um, yeah, so that's all building up. Um, and then finally, like I'm dealing with things and like, okay, womanhood might not be so bad. And, my guy friends at the time were kind of, they were kind of nice about the the situation when I tell them about it and understanding. But um, I did have one send me to uh, 
like hermaphrodite, like anime porn at the time. Um, he sent me like a link to it and, um, I didn't know what it was. He just sent me like a blind link and he was like, Hey, this is, is this what you were talking about? And then he sent it to me and I was like, so horrified. I think I was 12 and it was just like, thanks. Thanks a lot. (laughs) But you know, preteen boys are going to be obnoxious and whatever. Mm -hmm. But it hit you particularly. Yeah. It was, yeah. Cause it was like completely, you know, poking fun at this thing I felt that was really deep and personal to me. And I thought he got it because we've been friends since we were little kids. And he sent me that. I was like, oh, thanks, dude. Like, that was, that was cool mm-hmm. of you. Um, But so around that age, too, I was finally starting to feel like, okay, maybe I can give connecting with girls another try and I'll you know, I was, I am female attracted. And so like, I was like, that was the other layer on top of like girls, like having relationships with them. It's like, I was also really uncomfortable approaching girls because I, I was attracted to them and I wanted to be, you know, in my mind, I've got that internalization of men are supposed to be really respectful of women and men shouldn't, you know, creep on women and that kind of thing. And so it was, tough for me to even like approach them um but I did and I ended up making a few friends that were girls at the time um and that whole thing got really messy really fast because of the attraction or because of um the dynamics of women uh relationships at that point in uh, development definitely the dynamics so um yeah, it was, I wasn't prepared for that necessarily. Like all of the, I guess the drama that comes with female relationships, like guys were so easy. It's just like, Hey, you want to go play video games? Yeah, great. Okay. And then, you know, but with girls, it was a little bit more like gossipy or kind of guessing games of what was okay and what wasn't. And like it, oh, it was fairly stressful. <laughs> um, and then I did end up developing feelings for one because we had so many things in common. Like she was more rough and tumble. I was more rough and tumble. We really liked the same music and movies and things like that. Um, and then we kind of ended up dating on and off. And then um, she was like, well, I don't really want to be with a girl actually. And so then I ended up dating a boy and that was um that ended up being a very abusive relationship especially like for kids that were so young or 13 and he was very physically abusive Hmm. um and then like i think a year into our relationship he ended up like raping me so there was it it just it was very 14 The day before my 14th birthday, actually. I'm sorry to hear that, but that doesn't seem like uh, behavior that is appropriate for that age. I mean, it's it's inappropriate. I'm not saying it's not inappropriate, but that's pretty young for a male to behave that way. Um, He had a really abusive family. Um, I don't know everything that went on in that family, but I can imagine it had something to do with it, like, in a major way. Um, 
And actually that girl that I was very close friends with was there. Um, she watched him pull me into the room to do it. And I remember I was like calling out to her for help and she just sat there and she watched him do it. She didn't help me at all. And, um, and, uh, I was, yeah, Hmm. he did stop pretty early on because I shut down. I just had that immediate reaction where I just shut down and, um, I came out and I, I told her something like that really hurt or something. It was my first experience with anything like that. And uh, she just kind of, you know, just went on about her business. And then later she ended up disclosing to me that um, she was sorry and she did it because she had a crush on him. And that's why she let him do that. And it, was, it really further damaged my like any any trust I really had for women or girls at that time and it it cemented in like this would not have happened if I had been male like which I mean is is a lie like men can get raped and things like that and absolutely they they do as as teenage boys and things like that but um at the time it was like you know he was so much bigger than me and stronger and things like that so just really cemented in that feeling of like female weak and just a lot of that self-loathing and things like that, which, um, yeah. And I, I did report it and, and that kind of thing, which my family did not want me to do because they were like, Oh, well, you know, we don't want everybody talking about it and gossiping about it and that sort of thing. And I was getting bullied at school for it. I was very depressed. Um, were were there any any support? Did you get any support? I got support from one guidance counselor <laughs> um, later when I dropped out of school and I came in. I had to take a test in her office, and she was the only one who gave me support. And she said, "It doesn't matter if you're running around naked; nobody has the right to touch you and and do that to you." And she let me just cry in her office before I went back out. Um, it's more when people are nice to me that I end up crying <laughs> um, than, than people being mean. I expect people to be mean. Um, but yeah, that was it. That was the only support. And then uh, I was very depressed and feeling very alone, which is a predator's dream. You know, you're, you self-isolate a lot when you come out of abuse and when you're misunderstood, like both of those things were happening to me. Like I was misunderstood by everybody at home, at school, that kind of thing. Um, I had been abused at home. My dad, um, as a, as a kid had tried to, uh, like drown me several times, like over the years and things like that. He just had a lot of like rage and he took it out on me. Um, and he was white. So like my family didn't have a super strong connection to him. So it was like this weird dynamic. Um, and when I was around him, he was just very mean to me. I I don't really know like where that came from and ask, but, um, so it was just very isolating, but you also self isolate when you are in abusive situations because, 
it's hard to connect you you everything feels so small and so like unimportant like you're like oh that's you know I'm going through bigger things right now like I'm processing a lot like that doesn't matter and this doesn't matter um so then normal things like going to school or uh, yeah (laughs) going to school um stupid drama with friends or family like events things like that so you you self-isolate and then um that kind of and then you're also like having to explain a lot of things to people like being misunderstood too so a lot of behavior like in my family that was normal like me just needing time to process or you know space to do this or that they didn't understand like at all and you know, you're having to rationalize things on the one hand and also self-isolating. So it becomes the perfect storm for somebody to come in and take advantage. And you're like so alone and everything else. Um, And so then that's what happened was my dad then took advantage of the situation. I'm alone. I need love. I need to feel supported. And he did that. And then it was all to get me in a headspace where I trusted him. And then he fabricated this story of like, oh, well, there's this guy and he's going to like, he's threatening me because of money and whatever. And um, he wants to hurt your, your mom who was pregnant at the time and your sister. And my sister was going through treatment for leukemia at the time. Um, and he's going to kill them if I don't give him money, but he saw you. And if you provide like nude photos and whatever for this guy, then like, that's going to go away. He's not going to hurt anybody. And I was like, well, what about the police and that sort of thing? And well, the police can't do anything because there's no evidence that he's going to do this and that. And he was really careful. And so just crafted this whole thing, manipulated me into believing that this was all true and began like sexually abusing me for these photos that this person needed or videos and also um essentially trafficked me uh to people to get like videos because there were things that I absolutely was not going to do with my father um and so I just further isolated further you know and then kind of leaned into being with other people that I consented to being with because it was like, well, at least I have control over this. And at least I have control over something um, in my life. And yeah, it was, and I see that a lot now. I see that hyper-sexualization, that leaning into kink and stuff like that from a lot of the the trans community and things like that with these younger kids. And it is a form of escapism and taking control of your body and, and things like that. So I, I understand that completely from them. Um, and again, it was like that messaging of, oh, you know, you're taking control of your body. This is empowering and this is giving you strength and this is all of that. And um yeah, so it's just this warped way of hmm. trying to heal through further damaging yourself. 
and yeah so it's is a lot going on yeah um and then i ended up realizing that my dad had made up the whole story because at the time he was going to technical college and he had an english class and he was he would write me um letters essentially pretending to be this person um requesting these things and uh i compared his writing to his writing samples for his english class because he would have me check his papers because he's a very good english student and um i noticed the writing patterns were the same all the spelling errors the punctuation everything was the same and then i confronted him about it and honestly the look on his face was priceless because i told him i was gonna tell my mom and i i remember like calling her in and I hesitated because um, it's it's really hard. Like the hardest part about talking about abuse is getting the words out because you choke on it. Like that's what it feels like. Sorry. No, it's okay. You choke on it. You can't get it out. And I couldn't in that moment. I did later, but she didn't believe me. Um, well, she either didn't want to or, or didn't. I can't really be sure if she, it was like, she uh, either didn't want to and knew what was happening or, or just didn't believe me at the time, like couldn't allow herself to accept it. I'm not really sure. Um, but so... Yeah, um, he touched me again after that. I I did try to tell an officer later. It was when I was leaving home because I was afraid he was going to kill me. Because that's the other thing he told me. Like, what's if I tried to tell anybody else that he was going to kill me? Um, and he he tried before, so I thought he was serious, you know. Um, and the officer, because I I was gonna leave home and I was telling him like I just have to tell you before I leave because I still have a brother and a sister there that he hasn't touched but I I want to make sure we don't get hurt and that he goes away and officer told me that I just sounded vindictive and that I just needed to repair my relationship with my dad and that he wasn't going to take my statement and he drove off hmm which is really weird. And I have talked to people from that police department since then. And they said that that was really terrible for the officer to do and that they would talk to him and whatever. But um, yeah, and at that moment, like it was just really heartbreaking. Um, so yeah, all of that compounds and all of that um, just makes all of those feelings of that existential dread, that disgust in your body, that revulsion, that rejection, like everything. Because it's so much worse. And so then, like, escaping to the opposite sex, like escaping yourself, becoming this other person, this person that you've always had this... um, idealized version of in your mind like 
that kind of becomes like an obsession. And uh, you really have to process everything before you can even consider that because you're, you're still you, like none of that's going to go away because you're this other person and things like that. And it's always going to be like, you know, that monkey on your back kind of thing. So, um, but you tried. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, and it's, it's worked really well, like all of my therapy and, and processing it all. I will still get moments of like, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not a want. It's almost like, it's almost like a craving that you can't ever really satisfy. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. It's not something you're necessarily conscious of. It just hits you like being hungry or being tired or whatever you can't shut it off you just have to let it kind of pass so it's not a dissociation Uh, from your body you don't feel outside of your body it's something inside of you that wants to change your body right yeah it's it's not necessarily change it's be expressed or experienced i wouldn't say it's it's external it is like a like a weird craving that's the best Hmm. thing i can i can liken it to so it's not a conscious thought it's not something like gee i wish i was you know male today (laughs) like it's it's that um that feeling of like you're you want this on a level that you can't explain and i think that's why mm-hmm. the language surrounding gender dysphoria and and even body dysmorphia or sex dysmorphia like gets appropriated so easily like it's it's hard to put it into words so these things of oh discomfort or, oh, like, I want to be this gender. I don't feel like this gender. I feel like this. It's um, it's very shallow language for very deep feelings. And the fact that it's persisted and the fact that I had it before I had any abuse, to me, illustrates that it is a real, like, mental health condition. Um that's deeper than just aesthetics deeper than, than stereotypes and things like that, because I know consciously, I don't need things like that. Like I never thought I had to cut my hair to be male. I never thought I had to be tall or, you know, things like that. Um, my voice, I did consciously know, um, about, but I, again, I don't know if, um, that was something I knew when I was little or not. I I remember when I first heard what my voice sounded like to other people, I cried <laughs> because I didn't I didn't know that's what it sounded like. I, I heard it as much deeper. My friend told me if you cover one of your ears and you talk, you'll hear what you sound like to other people. And I did. And I was on the phone with her and I cried. It's like 
around that age where I first started finally making female friends and and she didn't really understand. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. I thought it was so deep. She's like, no, you don't have a deep voice at all. <laughs> it's like, oh no. Did you work so, on changing that? I didn't because I knew it was kind of pointless and it sounded silly. Hmm. Like, I think in the back of my mind, I just assumed it might drop one day. I still sound like a kid, I think. <laughs> so um, that never happened. So that that will still trigger some some feelings for me occasionally, but um, it's not as bad as it used to be. Nothing is after after my therapy and things like that. Um, How did you find proper therapy? I was very against going to a therapist, like very very against it. Um, part of that was because I didn't want to talk about all of the abuse. And I kept telling myself like, that has nothing to do with it. It's, you know, cause I I was like, no, I processed that. I took care of it. It doesn't bother me. And it's like, it is bothering you because you don't want to talk about it. Like, do you, you know, it was, it was, Hmm. um, something I didn't, I really, really, really wanted to believe that that had nothing to do with it and that I didn't need to see somebody for that. So, I was like, and if I don't need to see anybody for that, I don't need to see anybody for the gender dysphoria stuff because, which at the time was still gender identity disorder. Um, and it was like, I don't need to see anybody for that either. Like, I'm fine. Um, but I was having a really hard time uh, associating with my reflection and I was having a really hard time with a mental picture of what I looked like. And I, I just... Even in like pictures people took of me, it was just like, I don't have the connection to it. Like I just didn't, yeah, it was, it was dissociation at that point. Um. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And I was on an art website, and there was this guy doing underwater photography. And he had these pictures up of this one woman, and they looked so masculine and I was like oh my gosh like if he can do that for me like maybe I would finally like associate with my body and maybe I would finally like see myself in a way that like I can relate to like this is amazing like she she looked so masculine but like not in a butch way necessarily because I knew there was no way that like I don't look much at all. I just don't have like the Sorry, features no. yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, but she was very, you know, if like her figure was was slimmer and and she had more like um like lighter features and stuff like that. Like it wasn't like heavier features and and so it's like okay maybe maybe like that like if you can do that for me then that'll work. And so I messaged him and he was like open to having me come in. And he had done pictures with 
postpartum moms and people coming out of the BDSM community and things like that to like help with dissociation stuff like that. So hmm. um, I showed up and I was telling him more about the pictures and I was like, so if you can make me look like her, that's great. And he goes, I can't make you look like her. This is not what you look like. And he goes, but I can show you what you do look like. And I think you're, you're going to be okay with that. I think you're going to eventually like come into accepting what you look like. And um, so from there, we started doing the underwater photos. And with the connection of like actually doing the photos and having a hand in creating it and like um, seeing the the before and after and everything it was just like wow like it really like helped sink it in for me and I I heard that as a kid too like it was part of the whole thing was there was uh, I had seen like an interview on some daytime talk show like daytime tv is how I learned what that I wasn't a freak for liking girls and everything else like thank god for those cheesy talk shows because if not like I would have thought I was a bigger freak than than I thought but um there were anorexic women talking about phototherapy and so it was the same kind of principles like nude photos you associate with your body in a way where it's like seen as artistic and you associate with it more um and so yeah it it helped I did it for like gosh like three years so yeah just with your own work or did you help them like apprentice style with other photo shoots and stuff like that yeah so we he and i uh worked together uh to create like different photos like sometimes he would have a concept in mind and other times i would have a concept in mind and um Hmm. i worked with a lot of the other women um who again were coming out of the bdsm community i mean some of them were so fresh out of it they still have you could see like the bruises and everything Um, and he would have to be like editing them out and, and things like that to, yeah. And then, uh, some women were there postpartum and, and they really hated their bodies afterward and, um, it was helping them kind of accept things. They, some of them brought their babies and did like underwater pictures of their babies. It was so cute. Uh, I brought my dog once (laughs) she was in, in one or two pictures, so yeah, it was it was a really beautiful experience, and he he kept telling me like, I don't understand how you have <laughs> gender dysphoria because you are like so not masculine looking and this and that. And I was like, you know, we talked a lot about about that, um, like just you know how perception doesn't align with with the physical reality of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, sorry to bring this up, but I. I suppose that it also helped you to process the pornographication uh, that you were subjected yes. to. And so you get to take control of that and yes. desexualize, resensualize, mm-hmm. perhaps re-embody. Oh, yeah. That would, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it, it helped so much in that way. Like it helped me see my body as like a beautiful thing instead of like just an object to be used and thrown away yeah and that was and then to to talk to the other women who were in similar positions or had 
similar backgrounds. I was like, I'm not <laughs> the only one who had like some horrible backstory and it helps me. And the photographer himself had also um, been abused as a kid and things like that. And so, um, and uh, it helped me realize too, like everybody had the same kind of feelings about themselves. Like, oh, we're, you know, broken or messed up or whatever because of this or that. And it's like, no, <laughs> like you guys are, you guys aren't broken. You're all like so human and normal and nice and you all want to help each other. That's not broken at all. Hmm. Like the people who hurt people are the the broken, messed up people. So it's a, a difficult insight to, uh, to grasp. Yeah. Like to be able to maintain the humanity to want to help people and to be kind to each other after somebody hurts you in that way and people use you like, gosh, that is such a, you're such a whole person to be able to do that. Like to, to, to be there. Like, I wish more people who, who go through abuse can hear that. Like I really do. And I see this again, like with these, these kids thinking they have gender dysphoria and they're so messed up and they need to do this and fix this. And they're so latching on to labels, I think, to process things and to understand what they're feeling and to identify with something because it makes them feel whole. And it's like, no, like you're whole because you're like good and looking for goodness and wanting to be like, because that's ultimately what they want. They want, you know, trans rights and everything because they believe everyone should be treated as human and they want everybody to have dignity and everything else. They have all of this like good, beautiful faith in people and they're going about it in not the best way, <laughs> especially when they're angry and everything else. But um yeah, no, like you're, you're a whole person if you want to help somebody and you're a whole person if you, you know, are looking for beauty in the world and meaning and, and you want to connect with something. You are only broken if you're causing like this damage and you're remorseless and you're just, you know, selfish and everything. Like that lacks humanity. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of that is just coming from from that that feeling of Pain. being misunderstood and, and, and broken in a way that, you know, you don't really know how to fix it or how to process it. And more people just need to hear that. Like, you know, it's that, that goodness in you, like that's what you need to focus on and <laughs> not trying to look for external things. Um, and then that way, you know, I think, gender dysphoria and, and all of these body issues and stuff and these these psychological disorders can be examined and treated more successfully than they are currently. There is an insight that you gave me. I've been listening. I'm sorry to go a little abstract here. I'm going to okay. try to keep it brief, but there's a, a, one of, I think one of the best thinkers and speakers out there right now is John Verveke, and he's got like a 50... Mm -hmm. uh, 50, 50 episode series on YouTube called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Brilliant piece of work. 
it's really long. I'm on like episode 33 now, but he gets into, he's trying to make a very strong argument for spirituality and existence and what it means mm-hmm. to be, w- w- how cognition works and how we find things meaningful and relevance realization is one of his terms, but he breaks, he breaks uh, experience down into these four categories and there's like, uh, there's propositional knowing, uh, procedural knowing, another P word, and then participatory knowing, which is the ground of everything else. So we have all these ideas of what reality are, but they are so far distanced from our experience of reality. And what you're describing about the gender dysphoria preceding your your uh, your propositions on you know, male, female, preceding the procedures mm-hmm. of how a male acts, how a female acts, and then the other one that I'm forgetting right now, but it's rooted in something that's precognitive. And mm-hmm. you, uh, you brought up uh, a mental illness take on it, but it might just be the way that you are actually situated in being, in the big B being, capital B mm-hmm. being. And, um, and the internet, specifically is all propositional and procedural uh, and you participate in, in it in a way, but it's all through statements and sentences. And that's what you're bringing up with the uh, latching on to, let's just say gender ideology or repurposing the terms that describe gender dysphoria to uh, you know, make sense of something else. That's just, it's a religious or ex- yeah. existential experience down there. And to be able to go down those rungs, to fix something on a very low level or very deep level of being um, is not something that you can do just by proposing to do it or giving somebody yeah. a map on how to do it. You actually have to figure out what works for you. And the photography mm-hmm. seems like that was a way to participate um, with yourself in a way where it starts to make more room for you to uh, just engage with that level of your being and then allow healing to happen perhaps. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, it was just, yeah. Seeing myself from another perspective as like you're saying, like another being almost, um, and just kind of repairing that relationship with myself and wanting to get to know myself. And then later, um, I ended up going to hypnotherapy because I was having like another, just an unrelated to gender dysphoria, like crisis. And I was like, well, I, I feel like I don't really want to go to like normal talk therapy because I'm not liking the direction that's kind of going with like trying to, I didn't want to put blame on anything. I didn't want to try to put blame on my family. I didn't want to put blame on people or society or, you know, some external thing. I was like, I want to have like an integrated like experience and try to like, yeah, try to condition myself almost to have like a more open relationship with myself and understand things about myself. So I went to a hypnotherapist and I finally felt comfortable enough to like open up to her about everything. And she told me like, well, she personally believed that some people benefited from transition and stuff like that. She didn't think that I would. And um, she was like, I think you really need to, to integrate like with yourself and, and know all the different parts of yourself. And so we did a lot of like, 
examination of the self and and being kind to myself and a lot of that kind of stuff and that really helped a lot too um Hmm. she was really really sweet and she was a a very spiritual person too and I think that really helped (laughs) like having because I also I didn't necessarily want like a more secular kind of thing and and I yeah I just wanted somebody who was understanding of like my spirituality and stuff like that too and she was very much that way so and she loved cats she had two cats that I got to <laughs> when I was there so what, what do you mean by spirituality I don't necessarily like I don't go to church and things like that I've just always I hate to be that type of person who's like I'm spiritual like I you know like Me you know too. like <laughs> um but just kind of like agnostic just kind of, I do believe in a, a self that um, is like a, a higher self than just, you know, synapses and responses to stimuli and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, love and kindness and all of that stuff, I don't think can be reasoned away as just stimulus and response and chemicals and stuff like that. So, um just kind of open to things like I <laughs> unsurprisingly like every every teenage girl that goes through like abuse and things like that I did a lot of like spiritual experimentation did like Wicca and looked into Buddhism and all that other stuff um and yeah eventually just came around to being more like agnostic and just open So you somehow pull things together mm-hmm. over over years. Yes. And what what about your outer life? How are you putting your energies, investing your energies into things through yourself, but not into yourself, into productivity of some sort? Um, <clears throat> Does that help at all? Do you find work that I do heals? Um. Artwork was an outlet for me big time growing up because I had no one to talk to, so I would write a lot. Um, And then just my art was very, like, emotional and stuff like that at the time. And then I noticed is, like, I got better psychologically and emotionally. Like, my artwork took a turn and became, like, very lighthearted and just kind of fun. And so when I'm stressed out or anything, like I just doodle cartoons like all the time. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's just a way to unwind. And I, I enjoy doing artwork for other people and I enjoy working like on stuff for other people because it it is like that creative outlet and there are things that I wouldn't normally like draw. So I challenge myself by taking on projects from others. Um, and I, I connect to people through like writing and through, through artwork. And also you have an interest in the, uh, gender discourse, let's say. Yes. I and didn't want to. <laughs> we, we <laughs> contacted, I think, or we, we met yeah. through that, but you mm-hmm. also specifically reached out because you care about this topic and you care about the people that you're seeing. Yeah. Um, or the behaviors that you're seeing, especially with young people. 
Yes. Um, my brother, when he was going through puberty, like developed kind of like a gender dysphoria type thing a little bit, like, because he, he really hated like what was happening with his body through puberty and things like that. It made him very uncomfortable. Um, and I talked to him about my experience and, and stuff and, and he eventually came out of it. Um, but I see a lot of kids his age that do not have somebody to talk to realistically that way. I see a lot of the opposite. I see a lot of um, that messaging that, yes, everything will be better if you just do this and you're actually experiencing these things because you're the opposite uh gender or because you're no gender at all or because you know you you're this or that and I just see like a lot of like lost kids that are hurting and they need somebody and I think a lot of the messaging too is um not focusing on on kids that might have a really difficult time at home or being really misunderstood at home or or abused or what have you because there's so much of that messaging too, that like, oh, if you're abused, you're going to have a community and you're going to have people understand. That's not true. <laughs> um, you will not have people sometimes who are there for you. I mean, yeah, sometimes you might, but the reality is a lot of us did not and won't have people around who are going to get it and are going to be there. And you might only find that online. And unfortunately, as I illustrated with my dad, you're going to find those people who are going to know that you're misunderstood. They're going to know that you're isolating. They're going to tell you, oh, it's because you're just so mature for your age. And they're going to really butter you up and be like, of course, none of that small stuff matters. Of course, this and that, because you're just so mature and grown up and you're so enlightened and, and, you know, wise and this and that, and they're hmm. going to really manipulate you and then sculpt whatever they want out of you. They're going to create that kind of um, base for you to, to build that new identity and, and whatever. And no one in your life that really got you to begin with is going to understand this either. And so again, like with before, you're having to rationalize your behavior and rationalize normal things. So now you're going to be okay with rationalizing the abnormal thing and rationalizing the extreme thing. Um, and it just sets up a really bad experience because as I said, you lean into it, you, you know, you're rationalizing, you're leaning into this, you're thinking you're in control. So then when it crumbles, you feel so bad and so responsible for everything because people are going to, oh, you did it to yourself. And you see it with detransitioners all the time. You did it to yourself. You knew what you were getting into. No, like, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's this terrible situation. I hate to see people going through it. I also hate to see this disorder that people like me go through with the gender identity or any other body dysmorphic issue because the language is so shallow and it's hard to convey what you're feeling. It gets appropriated and you're going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, like you're going crazy, like trying to explain, and they literally take the words out of your mouth to to use it to apply to themselves. And then, before you know it, like therapy is near impossible to get, like adequately, because now all the therapy is affirmative, and it's the same for people with 
DSDs and things like that have had the same thing happen. Legislature and, and protocols are being established like faster than than we can fathom now. And and it's like hard to push that all back and and try to be like, wait a minute, we need to establish something that's a little bit more individualized. We can't just make these sweeping generalizations. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not good for anybody. It's really not. And like, just to see how it's all been steamrolled for everyone is so, I, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. So that I, I decided as I was talking to people about this and seeing how callous the response was, I eventually just came out. It was like some rando on Twitter I was arguing with. And I was like, no, I experienced this. I know. Like, and people like you telling someone like me that transition is the only answer or that I'll kill myself is like ridiculous. And you don't care about us. You you don't care that, you know, you're you're putting this thought into our heads and that you're putting out that messaging. And you're telling us there's only one way to be like, if anything is conversion therapy, it's that. So, and then I was just like, okay, screw it. I'm just going <laughs> to talk about it with whoever and just be super open about it and, and hmm. tell everybody everything and like, get them. And I, I'm sure I annoy some people talking about gender dysphoria hmm. all the time, but I just don't feel like that messaging's out there from people who haven't transitioned as much. Like we hear from detransitioners all the time. We hear from people who have transitioned all the time. And I only really know like one or two other people on Twitter that are in my position. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was trans about this. And I was like, it's hard because I don't really have like a community. I don't have like a group. Um, and welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then she goes, she goes, well, you know, I think it's because a lot of people in your position um, put it into a box and they don't talk about it because it's easier than to get involved and to dredge up all those feelings and, mm-hmm. and can it be this raw nerve in a climate that's constantly trying to tell you which way to be. So, yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, what next then? What next? Um, I don't really know. I just keep talking and I I am um going to see what I can do as far as like contributing with with the art and things like that um making graphics and stuff for different uh groups like like gender dysphoria alliance and um oh my gosh oh genspect that's their name I always like <laughs> want to call them something else um just don't call them mermaids yeah I know <laughs> Um, just, yeah, I just keep talking about it and I have written a few different, um, 
organizations like medical organizations and things like that, because I also have endometriosis. So when I come across an article that says people instead of females or whatever, it's extremely frustrating. And yeah, I'm I'm sorry. This is probably a very female thing, but what's endometriosis? (laughs) It's a, it's basically a disorder surrounding like the uterus and growing like, yeah, yeah, growing the tissue, uh, tissue where you shouldn't and things like that. And it's extremely painful and Mm -hmm. debilitating, Um, which was like another thing that contributed to all of that growing up was having those periods. My grandmother thought I was having miscarriages every month. And I was like, well, that's impressive. (laughs) Like, um, Hmm. she didn't understand. And then finally, like, that went away with birth control, but I can't tolerate the birth control anymore. So I can't, um, I can't take it because of other health issues that it was causing. So we're back to that. So just kind of figuring that out now. Um, yeah. And then Zach and I are going to be doing a podcast together about Ooh. different world events, not just focused on <laughs> the gender stuff. Cause I'm, I talk about that enough. <laughs> But yeah, so we're going to try and get that put together. We're, cool. We already recorded an episode. We're just working on editing it. Well, I'm having him on next month. And so after you guys start releasing a few episodes, then I'll have you both on and we can plug it. <laughs> and we'll see okay. how your chemistry interacts with, with mine on the on the camera. See if we can get good product <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just uh, I would like to see more organizations put out alternative treatments and and stuff like that um definitely looking like it's going to go that way with the different protocols and stuff that have been coming out in the different studies um it's just a shame if it's a shame to see so many people get hurt in the meantime so yeah and then the messaging is such chaos there i mean the way that people are uh the the establishment and the elite or whoever this this uh, <laughs> turgid rallying sweltering mass of current thingers are misportraying the uh florida house bill uh, was it 1157 or something like that they call it the something don't like say that. gay say bill gay and bill. the whole yeah. the whole messaging even Disney's like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna say gay now. We're gonna teach children to say, gay. you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just like we, we're in such a, I, we're going through a collective psychosis constantly, yeah. and it, and the hallucinations are just switching from one thing to the next. But with the gender and the trauma and the abuse and the processing of that, and not having the tools for that, not having the infrastructure and therapy and the medical industry and all of that stuff. Just, there are a lot of very vulnerable, specifically youth uh, that are going to be damaged. And the people who are championing them are the solution for them now are not going to have any responsibility. And I, I'm sure they won't have any regret. Yeah, no, they won't. They're going to, they're going to find their a few scapegoats yeah scapegoats that they can and then they're going to walk away like without any consequences and it it really makes me so angry to see so many people doing that on social media too because they don't like they'll say something just so out of touch and stupid about the whole thing and then just be like oh 
turfs found this post and it's like no like it's so frustrating like stop doing this like you're just really you you can't you can't take it's it it, it, it's exhausting being a keyboard warrior or battling keyboard warriors i know i just yeah (laughs) i try not to get into this course but i want to say that you're telling your story uh such a difficult story to hear and the it's still alive in you and fresh in you and um that uh speaks volumes for your character and i do hope it i can title it correctly or the algorithm can shuffle it towards people that that can hear it because that is the positive contribution that stands above all of the uh, again all that proposition all those ideas and words and arguments and all that stuff it's like here's a human yeah yeah that's why i tell it is like it's hard and i would rather not have to but i feel like just recently like when i reached out to you it was just because i saw one too many of those posts that just seem like I recognize the language and everything. It's like, this is somebody who has been abused, is misunderstood, doesn't feel like they have anybody, and they're trying to blame it on, oh, I'm just not this stereotype enough. Oh, I'm just not, you know, all of these things are happening to me because I'm not this gender because, yeah. And and I was like, okay, well, (laughs) that's not true. And like you don't have to do all these things to come out the other end and be okay and put together like it's possible it's it's very painful um having to confront all those difficult things the hardest thing is just getting the words out it really is like that's and they're trying so hard and you you see it like these these kids these young people are just screaming like literally screaming that's not somebody that's okay that's not somebody that's living their truth that's somebody who's in a lot of pain and they are literally like choking to death on these words and these things that happen to them and they need to just get it out and give themselves a hug and really like process it all And it's not easy to do because there's a lot of self-loathing that comes along with it. And it's hard to give yourself that care, but yeah, get there and do it and just come out the other end and you'll be so much happier. And it's a lot less work than having to do all these labels and (laughs) and come up with all these pronouns and put yourself in all these boxes and everything else. And so, yeah. Well, Cynthia, thank you um, for sharing and coming on. Um, I will uh, wrap up the episode if you would like to say goodbye to the audience. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I hope, I really hope that someone can show this to somebody going through something really difficult and it helps them like just cry (laughs) get it all out and everything and my dms are open if anybody wants to talk about anything so i'll link your i'll link your twitter and your website which showcases your uh your talent (laughs) down in the description thank you